0: Welcome back to the Run Alive podcast. This week's theme is lessons from the world of marathon running.
1: We've got an incredible guest for you this week. She is the second fastest British marathon runner of all time.
2: It's been interesting like over the years, um, like I spoke about when I ran 225, I like took a massive chunk of my PB and kind of like raised the bar you could say to 225 and then we saw after that like a couple of other girls ran 225 and then when i ran 223 um uh some of the other girls ran like 223 or faster um jess piaseki ran 222 after that and it was like i raised i kind of feel like i raised the bar again and then this time i just ran 222 and already two british girls have run around that time as well so it's like every time i seem to raise the bar it gets to get getting higher
0: she started running the marathon at a relatively young age. And what she's found in that is an incredible running community.
2: That's why I think as well the marathons are so cool because you're standing on the start line of Berlin. And I knew behind me there was like 40 athletes that we coached also running Berlin um, at the same time. And it's like, I've finished the race and I'm saying to Adam like, oh, look on the tracker to see what this person's run. Um, and that's so cool because you, you can't, you don't really get that with other sports. like tennis, for example, like Andy Murray's playing Wimbledon, but general people aren't playing Wimbledon. Like it's just, it is quite cool, like that side of running. So I think it's great that we have, we have that as well. Um, the fact that everyone goes through the same pain and the same kind of feeling in the training, like it is the same, even though it's different pace, it's still the same kind of vibe.
1: <laughs> Alongside her elite career, she runs her own coaching business and you're going to hear a genuine passion for the achievements of other people.
2: I love seeing like what the athletes have done, um, like sometimes I'll be lying in bed in the morning, my alarm goes off, I'll look at my phone and there's like a notification from training peaks that one of our athletes has done like a 20-miler and I'm like just waking up and then they've they literally done this 20-miler and then they're off to work a 9 to 5 and then they get back from work and they've got to pick up their kids and take them to football and then the next day they're doing it like training again and I'm just like, whoa! how do they do that? So. For me, like, it is inspiring that kind of side of it as well.
1: This week's guest is Charlotte Purdue.
2: So, my name's Charlotte Perdue. Um I'm a professional marathon runner for Adidas. Um, I also am a coach for Purdue Performance, which I do with my partner, Adam. Um, and we have a team of coaches. Um, yeah, I've been running for over 15 years now. Um, and, yeah, I run mainly the marathon, also the half marathon, and sometimes the 10 k <laughs>
0: Uh, welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. What makes you come alive?
2: Um, I love pushing my limits, um, seeing how far I can go. Uh, so trying to run as fast as I can, that means.
0: Oh, that's amazing. I was for a moment, I thought there's ultras in your future. Maybe there is. <laughs> uh,
2: maybe. <laughs> um, but,
0: yeah, so, tr- so trying to go faster and faster at the moment is the is the focus, is it?
2: Yeah, faster and not longer yet. But maybe when I retire, yeah. I'll uh, dabble in something else. <laughs>
0: Uh, Well, on that note, massive congratulations on um, going second all time on the British marathon uh, times at Berlin, which is, I think, only three weeks ago. Um, How has it been since then?
2: Um, Yeah, it was four weeks ago actually, but uh, it feels like um, it feels like a lifetime ago. I'm already, I'm like back in training already, so I feel like it never happened. It's um, kind of strange. I've got like I make a frame every time I do a marathon major. Um, so I've done three now and me and my partner, mm. Adam, we made a Berlin frame with like pictures of the race and my race number and my medal and we put it on the wall and I look at it and I honestly, when I walk past I'm like, it feels like it was last year, but <laughs> it was only four weeks ago. It's strange how like quickly you can kind of forget and just move on to the next mm. goal. So yeah, it was, it was a great day, but honestly, I feel like it was last year.
1: <laughs> oh. mm.
0: I saw, I think I saw from pictures, Adam was there pacing you.
2: Was yeah, he? That was, yeah, he was um, pacing me, so that was great because I've never had that before. Like, I usually, I've run Boston, which was women's only, and London uh, four times, always women's only. Um, so it actually was great to have an opportunity to race like a mixed marathon for once. So, yeah, mm. I managed to rope him into pacing me, which was, um, which was fun. Yeah, it definitely, definitely helped.
0: <laughs> it must have been a pretty special moment for you to do, to do so much of it together as well.
2: Yeah, it was good. I think he felt the pressure more than I did. I think he was very nervous. Um, (laughs) He said to me like before the race that he, um, because he's run 215, but he's only run one marathon. Um, He did Seville last year and um, it was kind of his first build up and he wasn't happy with the result, but he still ran 215 on debut. So it's not terrible. But um, (laughs) when he was pacing me, he obviously had to run my marathon pace and when he trains, he runs faster than my marathon pace and he never really runs um, the pace that I run. So I think he was more worried about how it would feel like running that pace because like Mm. I said, he never trains at that pace or easy runs at that pace or anything. So it got to like the Thursday before the race and he was like, I'm going to have to go for a run and just do a couple of Ks (laughs) at your marathon pace just to see what it feels like because I don't have a clue. And I was just thinking like, oh no, (laughs) he's only going to (laughs) take me out in like, Two ten marathon pace or something um or way too slow but yeah luckily it worked out all right
1: <laughs> and what what do you do to celebrate after something like that kind of performance what what do you celebrate how what do you do in the sort of week or so afterwards
2: yeah well it was actually um a bit annoying because I woke up on the Saturday before the marathon with a sore throat um which I Managed to like take paracetamol and get, like I was get through the race. I was completely fine. I didn't feel it in the race, but I woke up Monday morning after the marathon and I was stuffed. Like not my legs, my legs felt fine. It was like, Mm. I couldn't speak. I had a cough, a cold, like terrible. So for two weeks after the marathon, um I had this like virus or cold or I don't know what it was yeah, um yeah. so I couldn't really do anything which was a bit annoying um because I'd planned to like go for dinners with my family and like see people um but I had to cancel everything and I pretty much just stayed at home um I did wow. do some things like go to cafes and stuff but nothing exciting um just kind of yeah just had to get out the house really but yeah I felt pretty terrible so that was that was annoying <laughs>
1: Gosh, that's such a shame, but I'm taking two things away from that. Number one, I, I'm, I'm really glad on your behalf that the virus didn't hit any earlier, but I'm also just going to offer all of your competition that, that will, you did that performance slightly with a bit of viral load in your system. So that's quite interesting. Gosh.
2: Yeah, I did wow. think that. Obviously, you don't want to be that person that's like, oh, by the way, I was ill so I can run faster. But <laughs> no, so um...
1: I, I can be that person for you. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I say like in the race, I didn't, I felt fine in the race. I didn't feel hindered at all. But every time I swallowed, like after the race, you know, when you feel like you're swallowing a razor blade, it was like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I literally was lucky by like a few hours basically to keep yeah. that virus at bay. Um, it's just one of those things you like try and avoid obviously race week, seeing anyone or, but obviously I had to go on a plane and fly to Berlin, which was, um, just had to be done and there's a lot of colds going around so I did wear a mask and I was really careful but yeah I couldn't believe it when I woke up Saturday morning and I, I swallowed and I was like oh my throat but Adam was oh. like oh it's just the aircon; you'll be fine and then at four o'clock in the morning on race morning I woke up and I was like Adam my throat is really sore and he was like just get some paracetamol down you you'll be fine Um I think he knew that I was kind of like thinking about it but at the end of the day, like I said to him, I sore throat, I'm going to run. Like it wasn't on my chest. Yeah. It was fine. Um, so I just cracked on and yeah, but after the race, I was completely stuffed. So oh, um, I'm just, cool. I, think, I think I'm lucky with the timing of that one.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll focus on the luck. We'll focus on the luck. And Hey, the, the other thing that I just wanted to sort of zoom in on is that ritual you have of creating a frame after each <laughs> marathon major. That is so cool. And just tell us sort of, in a way what that does for you that ritual and why you do that and how it works for you
2: yeah it was after my first marathon in 2016 i ran london um, adam did it for me just um i didn't i was away with my dad on holiday and i came back and he did it it was just like oh. my race number in the middle and then my medal and then like photos from the race and then in 2017 after i ran london again uh, we did it again and then it became a thing that we did and i kind of wanted to do it for every marathon but then i was like well i don't know if that would be a bit ridiculous because there's so so <laughs> I've, I've run a lot already but um then we thought i oh, would we'll just do it for the marathon majors so i've got a wall in my house where there's the four which i've done from london because i've done london four times now and then i've just got one from boston and one from berlin now but i think i will just keep it to the majors um yeah, I don't know if I should do it every time I run London Marathon because I feel like I'm going to run a lot of Londons, but I've already done four. So I have to have to keep that tradition up. My whole house will be like full of London Marathon pictures by the time I right. retire, maybe. But all right. I don't know, there's a lot of walls left. So
1: And what, what does it do for you? Do you? Is it like a kind of like closing a chapter? Or is it just purely a way of celebrating? Or, yeah, what, what does it mean to you?
2: Yeah, I think it's a way of celebrating. I mean, all of the frames which i've done have luckily been like good days um mm. i don't i don't think i'd do a frame if i'd run and it hadn't been like a good day yeah. um yeah. but then i don't know because it's an achievement to finish a marathon anyway yeah. Um, yeah. and everything mm. has like a story so if i did new york for example and for some reason it wasn't a great day i probably would still do the frame if i if i finished the race because mm. it's still an achievement to finish a marathon but Um, for me yeah I just like looking back and remembering like the memories of that day like each one has a different story like my first marathon 2016 that was my first one so that was cool but then 2017 was a good one because I qualified for the world champs in that one and although I came second Brit I still look at it and I'm like oh that was a good day for that reason and then um twenty nineteen I took a massive chunk of my PV and that was a good de- a good day for that reason. And then yeah. obviously 2021. So I look at them all and I'm like, Oh yeah, but I think it's easy to forget that if you don't have like the yeah. memories. And obviously this day and age as well, when everything's on your phone, sometimes mm-hmm. it's actually good just to have like a visual. So I've got yeah. all the London mm-hmm. ones on the wall in my um gym in my house. We made like a little gym, so they're all in there. But yeah, the Boston one and the uh Berlin one are just around the house. So I said to Adam he needs to do some majors so he can uh, make his mm-hmm. own frame but <laughs> he, he's enough. not really proud of his 22250 or whatever he ran. cuz um <laughs> I ran the last k like pretty much alone what well, he like mm-hmm. he um dropped back because um to let I, the race organizers said that um the women should obviously allow uh if there was like a race going on you can't really have okay. a pacer like hindering the race okay. so I ran the last bit alone and I think Adam ran 2.22.50 or something but that's just <laughs> the time for a Berlin marathon so I don't think he's very happy with that but so he won't make a frame for that one.
0: <laughs> oh, well, he'll have to go back next year and uh, Yeah, and, that's what uh, I said,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Charlotte, you've been you <clears> talking <throat> through all those those marathons going back to 2016 and you, it feels like to me you've been since you stepped on the line for your first marathon you've been kind of at the top, near the top of British Marathon running for, for a while. It um, feels like, especially on the a women's side, that's really growing some momentum and there's some really fast times coming in. Now, what's it been like for you to be right in the middle of that for so long and then start to see more and more people coming through now?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's good. I look back and it's, um, I've obviously had a long career already, but I still feel like I've got a lot left. It's, it's mm. kind of a weird feeling because I did start doing a marathon when I my first one I was 24 which is um not like that young but it's quite young um but now I'm 32 so I've already had like a long stretch but I do feel like I've still got a few more years left in me um to improve but it's been interesting like over the years um like I spoke about when I ran 225 I like took a massive chunk of my PB and kind of like raised the bar you could say to 225 and then we saw after that, like a couple of other girls ran 225. And then when mm. I ran 223, um, uh, some of the other girls ran like 223 or faster. Um, mm. Jess Piaseki ran 222 after that. And it was like, I raised, I kind of feel like I raised the bar again. And then this mm. time I just ran 222 and already two British girls have run around that time as well. So it's like yeah. every time I seem to raise the bar, it gets to getting higher. So like, I'm up for raising the bar again. Um, it obviously gets harder every time. And, yeah, it's it's a good thing because you wouldn't want to be, like I, – I mean, I wouldn't want to be running 222, for example, and then be the best by, like, five minutes and not have any competition because mm. I do think it is good in general for the sport. And just to have competition anyway is always a good thing. You don't want to be, like, just so far ahead that you're kind of, mm. yeah, the only one. So it is good. Um, obviously, it's hard as well because – like I said before, I keep raising the bar and then people keep matching it. But um, yeah, it's a cool thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you feel the pressure? Do you feel any pressure or is, uh, or is it, you know, more kind of like well you've been doing it for so long that, uh, that, you know, that, you know, you've got that performance in you.
2: Um, I feel more like pressure because every year I've kind of, not every single year, but every, almost every year I've kind of improved. So I do feel like mm. I've still got a little bit left in me for the marathon, definitely. Um yeah, I don't well, feel like You need
0: like... to do one when you're not ill for a start. <laughs>
2: yeah, <no. laughs> I don't feel like two twenty two is my like maximum, whereas I don't know, like for the five K and the ten K on the track, I feel I would be happy to retire with those times because mm. I've kind yeah. of left that chapter behind and I don't know if I could go faster for the 5k definitely and I don't I don't know about the 10k I don't know if I want to try but even the half marathon like my time is good um and I'd kind of happily retire on it obviously I do want to go faster but I would happily retire but the marathon I wouldn't be happy retiring with this time like I still Mm -hmm. feel like there's a lot left in the tank so um that's something that yeah I do want to keep improving um till I feel like I've reached my my goal I think you know when you're like running and training and like doing the race that you reached your maximum. But Mm. I just don't Mm. feel like for the marathon that I've reached my maximum yet. I still feel like I've got stuff left in me.
0: That's really interesting. Cause well on a personal, I feel similar about the marathon. Like I feel like what I feel like, you know, my marathon time probably has some time to go in it. Although, you know, I was pretty happy with what I did this earlier this year, but there's something about the marathon, isn't it? That just kind of like, draws you in and like, you know, one you know, sort of uh kind of leaves you wanting more or leaving it's it's hard to get right. Uh is that your experience?
2: Yeah, it is hard to get right. For me it's more like getting to the start line, like like I said before, without getting ill or <laughs> injured. Like once I'm on the start line and I get like running, I feel like I'm kind of halfway I'm already like getting the result because just getting to the line um and doing all the training is for me the hardest hardest part. But yeah, once I get to the start line, I'm I feel like I'm all good.
1: <laughs> and Charlotte, one thing that's really striking me is um so you you didn't mention the word pressure at all. We offered the word pressure. Um and also just listening to you, it sounds like your motivation is very kind of inside out, if that makes sense. Like you you're really interested in what more you can do. This is about you achieving your potential. I'm just Sort of go, could you go into that a bit more about how do you frame like do you feel external pressures or is this really for you like what can I do what where's my potential and where can I get it to and you're not immune but you're much less bothered about the external pressures
2: yeah I kind of feel like um I yeah I'd say I'm not actually that bothered by the external <laughs> pressures because like every day obviously marathon running such an individual thing like it's not a team sport although there are pressures I just I don't know because it's like every day I'm going out and doing the running I'm doing the training obviously my coach sets me my training but it has to be from inside that you want to do it like if it's Mm. raining um and my coach is in Australia and he's setting me a 10 mile run like he doesn't know if I'm going to do it but obviously I'm going to do it um and I'll probably (laughs) run 12 miles instead of 10 but it has to come from like inside because I just feel like otherwise you're not most like for me anyway I wouldn't be motivated to do it every day like for the last 15 years I've never I've never had a day where I haven't trained when I'm supposed to like Mm. like I said even if it's horrible weather and um obviously there are days where you don't feel like doing it but I always do it um and I feel like the same with the racing um I am usually the one who says to my coach can I do this race can I target this and he's Mm. Like he will advise me, oh, I don't think that's a good idea because we're planning to do this or something like that. But it's always been me that's the one who's choosing the plan and um, choosing the races. And I think that's another reason why I always seem to choose like the big marathon majors, um, because Mm. for me, like the big occasions is what I really love. I don't I don't really get motivated by like smaller races just because i love like the crowd and the big occasions and that's what i Mm. like really get up for so i guess like then i i don't really feel that much pressure i guess (laughs) basically what i'm gonna say um more just like intrinsically motivated
1: yeah Mm. and that comes through really strongly it really does thanks You, you you um you took us down the route of coach and coaching there and it is notable your coach is in is is in australia um that's a much better place to be at this time of year. They're heading into summer. But on, on the, maybe let me just let me start on a practical level. That's, a, that's quite a long distance. Just um, how did you end up with Nick as your coach? It's Nick Biddo, right, who's coaching you? Yeah. How did that happen? How does it work? All of that sort of stuff. It's an interesting choice.
2: Yeah. Um, I left my old coach who was my first coach at, uh, Mick Woods, um, at Aldershot, I think around 2015, just I needed a change and I had like a heap of injuries and, um, I just wanted a change basically. So I was looking for a new coach. Um, and Nick, uh, comes, came over to Teddington, which is where I went to university at St. Mary's. Um, and he coached another British runner called Andy Vernon. Um, so I kind of like knew of Nick because Andy Vernon was coach. Um, he was co- coaching Andy Vernon. Um, he also coached Julia Bleasdale at the time. Um, he was yeah. another British runner. Um, and yes, yeah, so I knew of him. He came over to Teddington, which is where I went to university. Um, so I kind of just asked him, I said, like, um, I've left my coach um, looking for a new coach. Um, could I kind of be coached by you? And he was, Yeah. He said, yeah. Um, and then obviously that summer we kind of like met a lot of times at training because he was there over with the group. Um, and then when he went back to Australia in uh, like September time, um, I obviously didn't see him for a couple months, but then I went over to Australia in January. Um, and I've kind of just kept that routine now since, Mm. so yeah, basically every January I go over to Australia. Sometimes I go earlier. Um, and I spend about three months there, which is, yeah, nice. Cause I get to escape the weather over here. Um, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. And then I, uh, get to be with my group as well. Cause I do a lot of training alone in the UK. Um, mm-hmm. obviously the group come over and they usually come over in about May time and then they stay till September. So mm-hmm. I have people to train with that whole time. Um, and then they usually go back to Australia. And then I have like September, October, November, December kind of training alone. And then I'll go mm. to Australia and have January, February, March back with my group. So it does work pretty well because um, the times that I have to train alone um, are kind of like usually based training phases where mm. there's not like a massive goal ahead. I'm just cracking on with the training, which I said before, like I don't mind because it's the time of year where you don't really want to be like pushing because yeah obviously you've got to have times where you're like backing off a little bit and then I'll build up for the next goal um I'll have people to train with and like really push it again so yeah it works out it works out well
1: and were you conscious of what you sort of saw in Nick or heard about Nick that made you think that looks feels like the right coach for me did do, do you know what it was about him that you were like okay like this this is a good fit for me
2: yeah I think it was um guided by like the results that he'd had with his group um he obviously had like a big group um I actually I went to the Commonwealth Games in 2010 um and one of the athletes that he coached in Australian called Eloise Wellings um she was in the 5k and the 10k and I was in the 5k and the 10k as well Um, so I got chatting to her there and we, we kind of became friends, um, from that race. Um, and I knew she was coached by Nick as well. And I just got like a good vibe out of the, all the athletes spoke really highly Mm -hmm. of him. Um, and like I said before, I needed a change. And when I joined his training, I did, it was a big change from what I was doing before. So I kind of, yeah, it took about six months to a year really to adapt to that kind of training because it was just a lot different to what I'd done before. but yeah, I think uh looking back it was it was a good definitely a good choice to to change and yeah, um yeah, it's working well.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. And how how has work could we know you coach as well? Uh you run Purdue Performance which you've told us is quite quite a big part of your life. How how has how have your coaches over the years sort of informed maybe to a certain extent about the kind of sessions that you set people and the plans you set people but also that other side of coaching which is like you're in a relationship with another human being and you've you know it's not just a it's not about the plan just about the plan it's also about building a kind of broader partnership how have you been influenced by your coaches over the years and what have you started to take from that
2: yeah I think um especially with Nick, like everything's very individual. So although like I have a group and um, we do, we do the same sessions on certain days, everything else is very individual. So um, I think working with the athletes that we coach, we've taken that approach as well. Like everyone's on a different plan. So, um, and everyone's training is completely different. Um, It's not generic and I don't set the same people, the same sessions because like i know from experience everything's very tailored towards like my lifestyle their lifestyle um yeah how many times a week they can run what surface they run on um so yeah learning from my coaches i guess i would take that away that an individual plan is always best because for me i found before like doing generic training um as part of a group didn't really work for me just because mm-hmm. like i said everyone's different um some people might be able to do Hill reps, and some people might have sore knees if they do hill reps and need to stay on the flat. Um, so, yeah, I, I know that everything that I do now is very tailored to, to me and what's, what's best for me. And so, I've kind of taken that approach into the coaching as well. That's why we wanted to set up Purdue Performance to provide like a service that was individualized, that we could, um, yeah, give people like individual training rather than just sending out a PDF that was very generic um so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean that sounds like uh, it sounds it sounds like that's something that you have you've identified in your own um kind of journey and taken that then into um into the way that you um you, you coach and the way that you um encourage and um yeah and there's relationships you build with with others um do you have a kind of like would you be able to sum it up in a philosophy that individual nurse or or is it is it literally just kind of like the benefit of your experience
2: um yeah I think like when we have on our like website that is bespoke training um and I think like it really is because like I said before we have we have people inquire and we have to turn them away because we don't have space because um mm. like when we created Purdy performance it wasn't about how many athletes we could get it wasn't like oh we want to have like 500 athletes and that's what we're gonna do. Like we have people inquire and we have to turn them away because we have Mm. a set amount of coaches and we only each coach will only coach so many people because it's like I said before, that everyone's training is set on an individual basis. So it does take time and effort. Um Mm. and we will talk to our athletes as well regularly, whereas um we never wanted to be kind of that, that coach that was like, Oh, here's your training, see you in a month, kind of thing. Like I know from experience I speak to my coach every other day, even though he's in Australia and Adam speaks to his coach every day. Um Mm. so it's really important to keep in touch like with your coaching if you wanna get results. And it doesn't really matter like if you're trying to run four hours for the marathon or two hours twenty. It's like the same kind of kind of thing that we're we're like giving to people. So we kind of that's what we wanted to do, just create that experience of like an elite level coach, but Mm. for whatever your goals are. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we are doing that, which is hopefully good. (laughs) Ah,
1: Brilliant. And Charlotte, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious as well about how, um, so you run that alongside what you do in terms of your training and your racing, and, and I'm sure that you've got your commitments to, to Adidas and other things. How do you, for anyone who's run a marathon, knows it's like an unbelievably draining experience getting ready for it and you've got to keep everything in balance so it just really and you're clearly very durable because you're making it to start lines like regularly and performing phenomenally well how are you managing the life stress what's your take on how you keep life stress in balance with training stress and all of that because you're clearly getting something right what can people listening take from what you do
2: um well first of all i don't have any kids so that helps all right (laughs) Um, i can't
1: take that box that's where it's gone wrong
2: (laughs) i mean i couldn't imagine looking after another person as well as myself um
1: have you you got any pets you got a pet a dog or a cat
2: or anything yeah i have a pet dog but actually that's another funny story because she's 18 now my dog chloe um but she's uh she lives with my dad um because yeah that's why uh it's just i'm traveling so much and because she's yeah. so old she kind of needs like stability so i always say to adam like how funny is it that we can't even look after a dog now like <laughs> 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 so there's no chance that we're having kids anytime soon because we can't even look after a dog but yeah honestly like adam obviously does a lot of the purdy performance um mm. with me so i think of we set it up together in 2018 but we have a team of coaches now so um mm for me when I was training for like Berlin and like world champs last year, I took a a step back from the coaching and Mm. kind of don't really coach that many athletes personally myself anymore. Um, I, I sort of do more of the like admin and the back stuff just because, um, like you said before, like when I'm focusing on a marathon, I have to go Mm. all in and mentally Mm -hmm. and physically if I'm, not that coaching is a bad thing because I do like um, coaching and it is fun and I enjoy it. But for me, like I have to give a hundred percent to the race. Otherwise I don't want to look back in 10 years and be like, Oh, I could have run 220, but instead I was coaching 30 athletes. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Adam understands that. And um, the athletes do understand that as well. So that's why it's great that we've got like a little team of coaches now, because it does take a little bit of the pressure off myself. Um, but yeah, I do enjoy it. Like I said before, I get back from a run and um, I love seeing like what the athletes have done. Um, like sometimes I'll be lying in bed in the morning, my alarm goes off. I'll look at my phone and there's like a notification from training peeps that one of our athletes has done like a 20 miler. And I'm like just waking up and then they're, they've literally done this 20 miler and then they're off to work a nine to five and then they get back from work and they've got to pick up their kids and take them to football. And then the next day they're doing it like training again. And I'm just like, "Whoa, how do they do that? So for me, like it is inspiring that kind of side of it as well. Um, just even like yesterday I was running in the park, um, doing my own session it was raining, it was horrible. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is grim. And then I see one of our athletes that we coach and she was just smiling and like go Charlotte. And I was just like, fair play, you know, like I'm actually paid to be a runner, but they're just doing it because they love it. And it is so inspiring to me that, um, yeah that side of running I do love the community vibe um Mm. that's why I think as well the marathons are so cool because you're standing on the start line of Berlin and I knew behind me there was like 40 athletes that we coached also running Berlin um Mm. at the same time and it's like I've finished the race and I'm saying to Adam like oh look on the tracker to see what this person's run um (laughs) and that's so cool because you you can't you don't really get that with other sports like tennis for example like Andy Mm. Murray's playing Wimbledon but General yeah. people aren't playing Wimbledon. Like it's just, mm. it is quite cool. Like that side of running. So I think it's great that we have we have that as well. Um, yeah. the fact that everyone goes through the same pain and the same kind of feeling in the training, like it is the same, even though it's different pace. Brilliant. It's still the same kind of vibe. Yeah. <laughs> mm.
0: Mm. Uh, well, I, I mean, your kind of passion and the, the inspiration you take uh, from your athletes is just really coming through as well. But I know, I think you're an inspiration to many of them and to many other people, uh, who are, you know, maybe taking their first steps in running or, you know, training for their first half or their first marathon. Um, like, do you feel like, do you feel like that? Do you feel like, um, you're a role model or an inspiration or, um, or is it just, uh, yeah. Or, you know, how, how do you feel like in terms of your role as a kind of, as one of the fastest British marathoners of all time?
2: um I think it's like obviously a privilege to be uh told that but no I just I don't really feel like any more different to anyone else I think Mm -hmm. I'm still yeah I don't know I'm still doing the same kind of training and um obviously probably a bit more more training than the general public but it's Mm -hmm. the same kind of thing (laughs) um so yeah I don't know I don't I don't feel like I'm any more special than anyone else really running a marathon I think everyone's Mm -hmm everyone's achievements are really yeah really good so
0: and what what advice or encouragement would you give to people who are yeah who are maybe taking on their first marathon in the next few months
2: um i think my best advice would be to definitely have a plan um it's easy to like think you've got a race and then keep putting off the training or think oh it's ages away i don't need to start thinking about that till after christmas or something like that but Mm. I think the early start training, if you're a beginner, the better because you can build up gradually. Um, you don't want to like wait till January if you've got an April marathon and think, "Oh, I need to start training for that that London marathon now because it's January." But I think if you start before Christmas, for example, that's ob- it's always going to help because um, you can build up slow. So I think setting a target, if you've got a target race as well, that really helps me because um, I. I mean, training is, like I said, going out and motivating yourself every day is sometimes hard. So if you've got, got a key race or a, something in the diary, like it does help working towards um, that. So when you're out running, you're, you're kind of thinking that this is the main goal and then you can work back from it. Um, but, yeah, definitely starting the training earlier is, is better um, in my, my experience. I
1: was, gonna, I was half expecting you to say your main piece of advice would be to uh, partner with Purdue Performance, but um... – <laughs> <laughs> when we're, 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 we're not currently partnering with you as our sponsor so you can't say
2: that um <laughs> <Some> advertising. <laughs> um, maybe what's, we... um,
0: Sorry, what's coming you... up for you charlotte yeah. what's what's what are the next steps what are you looking to for the future and what's exciting you
2: um so right now i'm just doing like base training again because obviously i've just done like a big marathon block so um yeah, just kind of like building back up. Um, I'm doing quite a lot of running actually, which uh, yeah, just kind of like, obviously, cause I love running. So just always running, but um, the training is kind of like base training right now. So it's not super, I say I'm doing a lot of running, but it's not super hard sessions. Um, I'm not trying to kill myself every day because I'm just trying to stay fit, um, but not push it too much because obviously I don't want to get injured now. So the main goal is just to not get injured, keep a lot, a good base. And then Um, I'm actually not sure like what my next big goal is going to be, um, next year. Um, I'm going to go out to Australia, be with my coach. So we'll make a plan about, uh, next year's goals. Um, obviously I do want to make the Olympics, so everything's Mm going to be geared towards that. So I'm not sure if I'll run another marathon in the new year yet. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like open uh, at the moment to what the next big goal is but yeah basically the main aim is to stay injury free and uh mm. keep a good base base fitness mm. so yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and you you randomly half-jokingly throughout two hours 20 minutes a minute ago when you're talking about... <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not looking i am not looking for a like headline or a quote here but do you wonder how <laughs> How much How much more potential is you've got there in terms of time? Do you have you got a number that you're thinking? Oh, I'd so love to register that before I slightly start to hang it up.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I would love to run like two twenty or sub two twenty. I think um, American athletes have run um, that kind of time. That I kind of think that is an achievable time for me. Um, when people ask me like, "Are you going to run two fifteen for the marathon like Paula Radcliffe's time?" Obviously, I'll never say never, but for me, I don't really feel like that's achievable in the next couple of years just because the jumps in performance I would have to make are kind of unrealistic um, based on, yeah, what I've already done, and it's just kind of like unless they, Adidas, bring out some super, super shoes, um, (laughs) then maybe I'll be able to do it, (laughs) Um, but yeah, they have actually brought out some new shoes, um, which I didn't get to try for Berlin because they didn't have my size, so I have heard oh. that they are good, so you know, never, never yeah. know. Could run two fifteen of I of them, <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, like if I'm just improving every year, even if it's just by like ten seconds, then that's like a win. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I just kind of try and seek like as much improvement as I can, really. Um, yeah.
1: Amazing. Well, we'll be massively pulling for you as you head into next year. Um, We'd love to see you there in Paris. That'll be huge. If people want to. Follow you, uh find out more about you as an individual, your partners and Purdue Performance. Where can you where where should people be looking?
2: Yeah, um I guess just on Instagram. Uh I'm just at Charlotte Purdue. And then uh Purdue Performance is um just linked on my page as well. Um we also have a website, Purdue Performance, but yeah, our Instagram is where we post most of our stuff. So yeah.
1: Super stuff. Thank you so much for your time. Keep being um nonchalantly inspirational and intrinsically motivatedly brilliant. It's been super cool talking to you. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> Gary, it was so fascinating to hear from Charlotte. She came across as so balanced and level headed.
1: Totally. Completely centered. I'm actually really jealous. Actually, for like very centered, she knows what she's all about. Um, Very good at making, kind of building her world to support her performance in a way. But not. But you know, you don't get a sense that this is someone who lives only and exclusively for herself, right? She's very embedded in Mm. her community and her relationships. But yeah,
0: very. You could hear how inspired she was to hear like the achievements of some of the people she coached, or like. You know, yeah. when she sees them running past in the park or whatever, yeah. Um
1: love yeah, that. She knew exactly how, how many athletes she, she was. If forty athletes were behind her at, at Berlin, and she had a notion mm. of how many were in that that the, the, that they had from there,
0: yeah,
1: from their training company. So yeah, she's she she lives with um, not just the intrinsic motivation. Maybe we should hover over that for a minute, but also very an outward life as well, and you know, focused on other people.
0: Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I found it really interesting in terms of uh, you just mentioned that intrinsic motivation mm. in contrast to some of the other people that we've spoken to on this podcast mm. who are very motivated by goals or the pressure that they put on themselves. And it just didn't seem like she, in fact, she yeah. said she didn't really feel the pressure.
1: Totally. And it's all valid, right? There's there's no um, necessarily right or wrong mm. way of doing this at all. And and look, I'm sure if Charlotte were here, she'd say, like, yeah, I do care about results as well. And she's got times in mind and other things. But that just really shouted out to me this intrinsic I think she used the word first, didn't she? Intrinsically motivated. Mm, mm. Um, what a brilliant way of guiding your well, in her case, her career. Mm. Comes from the inside. She does it because she loves it. It's 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 kind of no bother. Mm. Pretty amazing. Um
0: yeah. Yeah. Hey, one of the things we, um, well, the thing that we wanted to light on though is what we can learn from Charlotte is that um, little mm-hmm. snapshot of the conversation that we had about um, how she manages the different pressures of life mm-hmm. um, as an elite athlete, of her job being running marathons but also mm-hmm. she's got her coaching on the side um and you know a dog to look after her um yeah. and uh, you know it's, it's kind of funny the way she said oh well you know we're never going to have any kids and my dad looks after the mm-hmm. dog now and actually i'm just doing mm-hmm. the admin in the business because but the interesting thing about that is so i you know it'd be easy to hear hear that in a similar sort of way that i heard it which was like oh well she's just decided to put everything on pause for her marathon running which by the way is her job right but so that's not that's not a bad thing necessarily but um, as we try and pull out a learning from that it's interesting mm. to frame that in a slightly different way
1: yeah agree and and this episode is all about lessons from the world of marathon running and what yeah like you you could you could look at that and say everything's on pause it's all about the job w- one way of looking at it though is that she's made a series of quite deliberate mindful choices to put the focus and the priority on the thing that really kind of matters for her. Mm-hmm. And I also hear that there's been seasons in that for her at different points in her life. She's done different things in the coaching business, et cetera. It kind of goes in, in cycles and seasons and she's making some conscious choices there. So that's kind of, that's how I heard it. And I think mm-hmm. that's that is what we're offering as the go-do this week is for people to almost have that honest audit with yourself of what are the various things that you're committed to, What is offering you um, pressure in your life at the moment? What is taking your time? What's taking your focus? And are you happy with with that kind of balance, that mix? Does that work for you right now? What worked for you a year ago might not be working for you right now. And is there something you need to do about that?
0: Yeah, so I suppose just a challenge to take five minutes this week and write down what are the competing opportunities in life at the moment? Are they in the right order? Um, Not all of us have the um, luxury of being able to pause any of them, Mm. Um, but we can make choices about, you know, where we're putting our focus right now. Mm. And so just think about, you know, what are those things? Is it family? Is it work? Is it um, running (laughs) in my case or other hobbies or pets? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, just kind of refocus, make sure they're in the right order and make sure you are spending the right time, the time in the right priorities.
1: Absolutely. Your 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 focus and your attention is absolutely your most precious resource. And, mm. and everyone listening to this will be capable of incredible things when they are able to put the focus in the right place. And mm. that's the offer this week, isn't it? Make sure it feels like it's in the right place and something that's really meaningful for you right now.
0: Brilliant. Well, we hope you enjoyed that conversation with Charlotte Perdue. We are coming to the end of this series. One more wow. episode to go next week with uh, the wonderful Richard Asquith, uh, author, famous book, Feet in the Clouds, and a the Trail clouds. Runner. I cannot wait to share that episode with you. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on social media, uh, at run underscore alive on Instagram, uh, the Run Alive podcast on LinkedIn, and Run a live pod on Twitter, X. <laughs> Never get used to that. Um, and uh, we would love to hear what you think. Uh, drop us a message um, and let us know what these conversations are raising from you. Until then, speak to you next week, Gary.